It's a crazy, it's a crazy day. I uh, promised uh, Father Kevin that I would be with you at four o'clock. So I am actually leaving my house at uh, noon and we'll get up to Dubuque for the service at four. Um, it's not completely uh, a, a sort of a one-way thing for 40 minutes. It's, I'm also going to stop off, unfortunately, at St. Andrews in Waverley, where we have a final service and a deconsecration of that, a desecration of that church, which is a very sad thing to do. Um, I can't report, recall preaching on the Feast of St. John. And I think it's for the same reason why you have moved that feast from its day, December 27th, to today. Uh, I suppose that's something you've done every year, I suppose, since Father Kevin's been there, or maybe it's a tradition that was given to him. Um, of course, it falls between uh, two days after Christmas and is therefore overlooked, because most of us on that day want to fit in more Christmas carols. <laughs> we, we actually... Uh, that's the truth. I mean, the truth is we just haven't finished all the Christmas carols. So if there's two or three weeks after Christmas, that's great. But we certainly want to use that first Sunday after Christmas to get all that in. Uh, so it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen for poor John. Um, I find in the connection, if you're exploring connections between congregations and their patron saint, in terms of the direction or the purpose or the the sense or the feeling of that church is kind of an interesting exercise. I once tried it for Trinity Muscatine and, and, you know, decided that they were dancers or something, or they were great relationship connectors, which they were in the community, actually. Uh, they would often start things for people, the disabled or the poor in, in, in the community, and then hand them over to the, um, to the, to the community itself to carry on. They were kind of instigators, and uh, and there was something in that that I felt was kind of trinitarian. Um, my church was Saint Barnabas uh, in in Eagle Rock, and uh, we once had to uh, sort of clean out the church, and we cleared some stuff from a particular corner uh, of the church, and discovered we'd unveiled uh, a window, and the window was Saint Barnabas, and. Um, and St. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. And my wife the other day asked me, well, Alan, if you only had one thing in ministry you could do, what would it be? And I said, well, probably encouraging. I like to encourage people in their life and their walk in, in Jesus. It's sort of a, it's just a, a big part of what, where I end up being directed in these things. So, so what about John? <clears throat> Well, first of all, you're the followers of the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> so there's something that you have to actually get over because you might get right. If I feel special about that, but you were the ones that Jesus really loved. And, and you could certainly, especially there in Dubuque, say, you know, we're the ones Jesus really loved and, uh, uh, and, and build, build up your uh, identity from there. But that's not really what John is about. John's about the fact that, uh, you know, what we've heard, what we heard, what we saw, what we looked at, what we touched. I would say four out of the five senses, because I'm sure he also smelled Jesus, but that was probably inappropriate for him to say. But this physical Encounter with Jesus is what made John 
um, what kind of made John's life. In other words, he was a witness to truth. He was a witness to truth. He witnessed the word of life, and he didn't just see it in theory, he saw it in practice. He saw it in physical manifestation, in a way in which it could truly be seen and heard and touched. John was very modest about his revelation. If he was asked the question, how was God appeared to him, I don't think he would be so bold. In the prologue to his gospel, of course, he writes that no one can see God, echoing Moses' experience in our reading today. But the Son, the Word incarnate, he reveals God, and of this truth, John is a witness. So we celebrate 175 years of such a witness. The St. John's in Dubuque, you have, in, you have been witnesses of this truth, one of the first Episcopal expressions of the Jesus movement. And I'm told you would claim that you were the first Episcopal experience or expression of this Jesus movement. One of my favorite stories is about Bishop Kemper sending priests down from Dubuque down towards um, Keokuk, down the river. And every Sunday he would, they would go past Muscatine and never know that there was actually a group of Episcopalians. It took him quite some years to discover there was a group of Episcopalians in Muscatine, but eventually he did duck there, get off and sort of help organize them. And of course, that was where our first diocesan um, convention was held. It was the beginning. I was here. I came uh, at that moment, the 150-year celebration was when I came as bishop. Um, but you were there very much in the front lines of sharing this witness to Jesus. Obviously, John had learned from Moses. He learned that we only see God once God, often after the fact, after the fact. Some of us have probably done those timelines when we've spotted important places in our lives, different events that have happened in our lives. And then we're invited to go back and say, well, where was God in those events? And often we sort of begin to see God in a way that we never really realized. Oh, there was God. There was God. Here was God at work. God in the past. It's often we do, we don't often see God coming because God said, well, you really can't see me coming. If you were to see me coming full front, you would just absolutely, you, you know, the Apostle Paul saw it, fell off his horse. Fell off his horse and was blind for several days. When Moses was told, yeah, you can see my glory, but only if I hide you, if I protect you, give you the sunglasses, and you'll see me as I walk by. John saw that it was in Jesus was that veil in a way. In Jesus was that veil, that full humanity of Jesus, grace was being allowed to be seen. And so from glory to glory, through Jesus we saw who God is. And John is someone who testifies to the unseeable God among us, beholding God's glory in Jesus that we can say is fully full of truth and of grace. And he saw in that reality a key to every follower of Jesus' relationship with God. For John, it was a remarkable and intimate, uh, uh, intimate thing, and never about him. It was a gift a gift, an unconditional act of love, 
that God would appear and be among us and help, and we could be witnesses of such a thing. It humbles us. So we are witnesses. We are beloved. We are witnesses. And we are humbled by what we discover. Or even by the very fact of what we're being invited to be. The truly, we, to truly see God is to admit. I think that's where the epistle comes in. To truly see God is to admit our own imperfections. That's why it's so key for John and the epistles then to start talking about if we say we have no sin, we kind of deceive ourselves. If you want to be open to this witness of this beloved God, we have to admit our own imperfections. We say have no sin, we deceive ourselves. None of us are worthy. Our ego, our pride, our sense of achievement, our status, our self-made person doesn't matter in this relationship. It's grace upon grace. It's unconditional love upon unconditional love by which God makes us God's self, God's, makes God's self known. So that's kind of what that rock, the cliff, the, the sort of being in the cleft of the rock is about. It's about God realizing none of us are worthy. Moses even wasn't worthy, the meekest man on earth. It's a contrite heart that receives the forgiveness that counts. And this is what John learned by his very witnessing. And likewise, if God is light, then we too must can't walk in darkness. If God is love, we can't be hating or despising our brother. So if God is love, we too must strive to be the lights of the world. If God is love, we too must strive to be the bearers of that love. That is the consistency. Now, I know John was probably fighting against all kinds of ideas of, of special knowledge, um, special enlightenment that people were claiming about themselves in those days, the Gnostics, or the early versions of them. But really, it got, at John's heart was this sense of to walk humbly with one's God is to see one's God or to be able to see one's God. And so, yeah, contrite heart, a life of light, a life of love, the alignment of our lives. This is where perfect joy, complete joy comes. It's where we begin, can be the witnesses of the truth. So I'm going to encourage you to be that witness among us as the Episcopal Churches of the Diocese following your patron saint's emphases, recognizing in him that this may be a special call for you. I invite you to lead us in these things, to be the first fruits of confessing and of, of, of receiving, living in the freedom of God's forgiveness. Be those who show and shed the light of Christ into the dark places, revealing the good things that God desires. Be the first to love, for God in you is love. William Barclay writing about this final passage in Gospel of John, sees John as that witness. 
He says Paul might be the pioneer of Christ and Peter might be the shepherd of Christ, but John was the witness of Christ. He was the one able to say, I saw these things and I know they are true. To this day, the frail, the final argument for Christianity is Christian experience. Our glory is never in comparison to other men. Our glory is the sense of Christ in whatever capacity Christ has allotted to us. William Temple, another favorite of mine, Archbishop of Canterbury in the days of the Second World War, calls John the forgotten disciple. He writes, so the story of the gospel ends with a little group standing apart from the company of the disciples. It consists of three, the Lord of love, the disciple in whom self would be offered, Peter, and the disciple in whom self would be forgotten, effaced by love. If we are to come to the Father, self must be offered or forgotten. So you're tied to a pretty, pretty um, significant and uh, difficult uh, apostle. As you celebrate his feast day, you celebrate being the beloved ones who God loves, being followers of the beloved ones who God loves, or Jesus loves. It follows that the accountability is pretty high. But God is always able to give us whatever we need in terms of the ability to fulfill the call that is upon us. So I invite you after these 175 years to be witnesses, to lead the way in being witnesses, to lead the way in proclaiming truth, to lead the way in shining light, to lead the way in showing love, to lead the way in the forgetting of self, for the completing of the joy, there is the knowing of Christ. God bless you as you continue following in the name of Jesus with that special companion, the gift of John. Amen.